the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Howdy. Welcome to this week's episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. We're your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Yes, we are. We're so glad you're listening. Still. <laughs> We're still the hosts. Yeah. Uh, this is episode... Who made that administrative 121. decision? 121. I don't know. My bosses. Well, my bosses did this. I question their ability to make decisions. <laughs> no. Um, this show is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. Uh, we have a wonderful detox program and a two-year aftercare recovery support program. And what's really cool and unique about uh, this, well, I'm technically the executive director of recovery support services, so I can speak on what all the ins and outs are I mean, that we I, do. I hope. I hope so. Um, but what's really cool is we're much more than just a detox. You can come detox and get the substances safely out of your system. But in addition to that, if you want to enroll in our free aftercare, you get up to 24 months of completely free uh, recovery coaching. We can do virtual phone or in person at our outpatient wellness clinic. Pizza parties. We do pizza parties. We yeah, do big great. book studies. We go bowling. We did an escape room recently with the alumni. Oh, yeah. But in addition to that, in the detox and after detox, if you're a recovery support client, you get free IASIS, which is a form of microcurrent neurofeedback. Mm. ISIS training is important today. <laughs> and important... Uh, there's lots of different um, neurofeedbacks coming on the market. And uh, I encourage anyone to just go look up ISIS, I-A-S-I-S, ISIS technology. Um, you can go to matthewshope.org, too, to check out Is there like a 120-volt current <laughs> no, neurofeedback? No, you're going to scare people, and they're not going to know you're kidding. I've had this done on me, ex- like, a lot. It's like, you can't even feel it's it. It's like a tenth of a picowatt, whatever that is. It, you can't feel it, is my point. Um, it's like a, a thousand less than holding a cell did, phone to your ear. Did you just give an accurate on accident measurement yeah. <laughs> of current? <laughs> a picowatt. A picowatt. A picowatt. Um, yeah. And so we also have at our wellness clinic people that come and self-pay to get recovery coaching or microcurrent neurofeedback or both. So you guys have self-care. You have self-care. I hate that phrase. Provided care. So what if they sign up? So they could sign up and candy pants will do ISIS on them, right? (laughs) Yes. Is there ever a time when people have paid for you to berate them? Or is that just recovery coaching? All the time we're doing recovery coaching. (laughs) People like to book their appointments with me. So they go to Uh, Candy Pants for Care and you for abuse. I prefer if they go get ISIS first before they sit in front of me (laughs) because they are more docile and maybe uh, I can inject more truth. Okay, okay. I just uh, check it. <laughs> but anyway, so Matthew's Hope is a wonderful program. It really Uh, is. We do lots of things. I make lots of jokes, but uh, you guys have... For somebody who's been in the recovery world for 10 years and I see success, not success, I'll, like you guys have an amazing record. I'm pretty shocked. I'm blessed to get to be a part of it. It's my passion and um, we just want to help people and that's what the whole foundation was originally about. It wasn't that we were going to go into the treatment industry and be a detox, but we mm-hmm. just saw a need. We saw a need to bring this care model uh, to more people. And, uh, and so if you or a loved one has any questions about our program, uh, or if you're a right fit for our program or our outpatient services, you can give us a call at 844-AND-HOPE, which is 844-263-4673. 
or you can go to either of our websites. MatthewsHope.org is more about the foundation and the outpatient stuff. And the detox website is MHDRP.org, Herbert.org. You know, and as I say from time to time, if you have an unloved one, right? Because I know that when old. an alcoholic, an addict is in their cups, as they would say, if they're in active addiction, uh, relationships are strained. And, and so what I would recommend is that if you have someone in your family, a spouse, brother, sister, whatever, parent that needs help, you could also call Matthew's Hope for direction. Yeah. Let them help you. Somebody on the line can give you good direction on how you can help this And how you one. can approach them, um, how to maybe facilitate a little bit more willingness. Um, I'm not like super pro-intervention. I know there's huge market and network of yeah. interventionists. Uh, well, we um, believe that a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, meaning I can't produce, seduce, or induce any kind of conviction in, in anyone. Yeah, You have to want it. And so if they don't want it yet, but it, even then you can still call us and we can give you some resources for you, the family member, um, of how to navigate it, even if they don't want sobriety yet. And, uh, and so, yeah, you can reach us there. And we are totally, totally stoked that you've joined us today, whether yeah. you're listening to us 1 p.m. Sunday, 1 p.m. Central on Sunday, KPRC 950, if you live in the H... Uh, and if you don't, you can listen to us live also, well, semi-live. We record on Fridays, but you can listen to the broadcast on Sundays no matter where you are. If you go to the iHeartRadio app, download it for free, go to the KPRC 950 app, and at 1 p.m. Central, you will hear us pontificate on the radio. At the end of every day, they... Every Sunday, not every day. At the end of Do you every, even know what you're saying right now? You're making faces at me that are very distracting <laughs> from across the board. Every Sunday evening, they upload to a podcast. You can go to iHeartRadio on the free app. Not and just a podcast, our podcast. You can look at our podcast, Relevant Recovery Radio. So there's several different platforms that it airs on. iHeart's the easiest, but you can Google it to uh, Relevant Recovery Radio, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, for sure. So what's going on with you this week? I had something really cool happen yesterday. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And so um, let me tell you a quick little story about something coming full circle. I don't know how much time we have left of this segment, but... About uh, a minute and 45 seconds. Okay, I just want to tell our listeners. Better so be quick. In 2015, I was in my third detox yeah. in Oklahoma City, and I knew I was going to get high when I left. Um, I didn't want to, but the illness was so strong I couldn't stay sober. And so um, they gave me a... I, I was begging the counselor to send me somewhere longer. She gave me a business card for a guy named Bob... And she told me to go to the phone on the wall and give him a call. And so I did. And that phone conversation with Bob changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. Uh, that phone call with Bob <clears throat> is how I ended up on a plane and ended up in Texas. I'm on a plane. I'm on a plane. And uh, that's how I went to the rehab that ended up saving my life and giving me the information I needed to get well. Now, I didn't get sober in 2015. I relapsed for another year. Took what it took. Took what it took. I got sober in 2016. Doesn't and always stick the first time. So what was cool, let's fast forward now. So that guy, Bob, he played that role in 2015. Eight years ago. Yes, yes, which is which is crazy. So hold that thought. I want to finish my cool little full circle God story right after this quick break. I love it. Well, don't go anywhere. If you want to hear the rest of Heather's pontific, I mean, uh, story, <laughs> we'll be right back with Relevant Recovery Radio.
Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier Hello. in studio. Um, so we were hearing a story from Heather about how she met this dude. I didn't meet him. It was a phone call. But how this dude, Bob the Maxwell, fits into your life. <laughs> so this dude, Bob, answered a phone call and never met him. Uh, and that's how I ended up in Texas. And a year later, the reason I got it's sober. Like, it's like eight years ago because you have seven yep. years sobriety. Years and there was about a year between your first attempt well, RTC in and your your second RTC, which, yeah. which was a fit. So a year after the phone call with Bob, I did finally get sober uh, for good, hopefully. And when I was four years sober, so in 2020... I get an email from the rehab I went to. It's like an alumni newsletter. Mm -hmm. But at the bottom of that alumni newsletter, I was four years sober, so this was five years after that happened, 2020, uh, I see Bob's email, same name. And I was like, that's a particular name. Um, I wonder if that's the same Bob. I, just that, that business card that she handed me popped in my head. So I emailed him, and I'm like, I don't know if you're the same Bob, <laughs> but and I don't know if you'd even remember me. But I, of course not. I he I called well, you. Well, you are a cutie though, so he might. Couldn't see me. It's a phone call. Pay attention to my story. Oh, when do I need to start doing wow. that? Anyways, so it was the same Bob. I sent him an email. He read it. It was him, and he. I was just complimenting you as a cutie. He though, by emailed the way. me back, and he's like, "That is me. Can I call you?" And so in 2020, we had a phone call where we got to compare notes on what all had happened. And he did remember me. He even remembers the restaurant he was in, in I think Norman, Oklahoma. He was at a Cheddar's and he had to step outside from that lunch because he couldn't hear my phone call. And so he remembered me and I said, well, I'm four years sober now and I just want to thank you. So anyways, Bob and I have been Facebook friends since 2020. And yesterday... Uh, I got to meet Bob in person because he was help, helping to open a new detox on the north side of town in spring. And so they were having an open house. Mm. And so that's where I went yesterday morning. Um, I wasn't even really there for the open house. Totally. I wanted to meet Bob and I wanted to hug him and I wanted to thank him for what he did. So you went for a tour and then got like a bonus. Yeah, you got to they meet actually this have a guy. wonderful program. Yeah. Uh, I got to get it to Bob wasn't there yet initially when I got there. So this other lady gave me a wonderful tour. They actually have a wonderful program. They're not open yet. They're going to open next month. Oh, that's cool. And so I'm really excited for what he's doing in town. But I was just personally, selfishly, so excited to yeah. hug him and thank him. And so it became like a full circle thing because now I work in treatment. Mm -hmm. And what Bob taught me is the importance of answering in a, a phone call. Mm -hmm. That it's so convenient or easy sometimes to be like, I'm busy, I'm not answering that phone call. Have you ever thought back that uh, when you were given that number, if he hadn't answered, because you're calling from a payphone, right? Well, it was, it was like a, a community phone on the wall. Where they couldn't call you back. No. So what if he hadn't answered that day? Have you ever thought about it? It's so weird to think about. I would probably be dead because I would have tried on the streets of Oklahoma some more. There was nowhere in Oklahoma that took my insurance. And just a note for our listeners, um, in the last days of Heather's usage of heroin the friends that she would i'm going to use friends real loosely and quote fingers that she would use with would make her get high on something so that they could roll her up when she died because she overdosed a lot when you say high on something no one knows what you mean that doesn't paint a description they asked me to sit on a rug or a blanket so that they could roll you up died. <laughs> when you died from heroin yeah um because it happened a lot happened a lot my point is, is if Bob hadn't answered my phone call, I wouldn't have ended up in Texas. Um, I probably 
I don't know if I would have gotten sober or died. Um, we wouldn't have found each other. We wouldn't have found each other. I wouldn't have the life here. So there is a you. bonus. <laughs> it would, your life would have been better, baby, without me. <laughs> I I just think of like the ripple effect of all the people that I've had the the honor of helping get sober all because in of Texas, that all because call. of that phone call. Oh yeah, it's huge. And so don't ever discount. Uh, any small role that you might play in, in someone's life because he capitalized on my moment of desperation and my moment of willingness, and he just happened to answer the phone and give me a resource. And God fits us to be of maximum service to mm-hmm. our fellow man. Which so- kind of fits in what, with what we're talking about today because I wanted to talk about like different roadblocks to recovery. Well, and so that's I wanted to jump in and, and, and talk about the fact that you had been through five facilities right you are not you had been through five facilities and i went through zero Mm -hmm. you have you have a a a bucket full of uh desire chips i have one and Mm -hmm. this is not like i'm better so i want to make that real real (laughs) clear i want to make that real clear (laughs) that's not where i'm getting at what each of us had on that last go around you go around Mm -hmm. number five and me when i first entered into the 12-step fellowship we're in is I had desperation. Yeah, I want You had desperation. I did. And I think that that's what I, I want to talk about the five most common roadblocks to recovery, which in part means the opposite are the assets of recovery, things that are, that are needed, right? And so that's basically the topic today is things that I need in order to get sober. And for all the times that I went to rehab or treatment or jail before, I didn't have these elements all present in, in my in my heart. And so the first one is for sure desperation. Well, and, and what I want to interject real quick, and then I want to let you go because I, I I want you to lead this because this is your idea today and I, I like where you're going with it. If you'll notice that I rearranged your list a little bit. And the reason I did is because the first, the first is desperation and that desperation produces or helps you to find willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness. So go ahead and... And when you have those four, you then get the fifth, which is you begin to, to develop some humility. So we're going to talk about desperation, yeah. willingness, yep. honesty, yep. open-mindedness, mm-hmm. and humility. Yep, that's our topic. And it takes the first to produce the the, set, the second, third, and fourth, and then those begin to produce the fifth. So and go so ahead. so that's what I wanted to kind of touch on because... Because uh, I'm telling you right now, nobody coming into our world is humble. No, 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 no. <laughs> right. But I just think what I'm saying is the roadblock is the opposite of humility, which is pride and ego. Mm. And so when you have tons of pride and ego where you still think you know what you need to get well, that's a block to recovery. Yeah, it is. You do not know what you need. Otherwise, you would have applied it and you wouldn't be drinking right now, Susan. <laughs> Stupid Susan. Stupid Susan. I really hate Susan. <laughs> so what, Let's go back to desperation. What so, do you think produced the desperation in you? Like, what did that look like when you finally said, when you surrendered, right? What did that desperation look like for you? Because people like to call it a bottom, a rock bottom. Yeah. And we sort rock of hate that term. Rock bottom is absolute BS. Yeah. I wish that people would stop using that phrase. Yeah, I know. I, but I think it's for lack of a better. So what did it look like for you? It is for a for better you? understanding of what's required. Mm-hmm. And um, so rock bottom really doesn't exist. But I think that um, my desperate moment came because I was so sick of the life that I was trying to navigate and live. Had you exhausted all options that you could have produced? Yeah, but I'm just saying it's not even necessarily about the external stuff. Like, I can go back 
two or three or four years prior to the moment where I got sober. And what I'm saying is um, I had been abducted. I'd been homeless. I had seven felonies. I'd been limited on the streets. I'd been around bad people that mistreated me. I know how to pick them, folks. None of that produced desperation in me. Okay. Which is what you typically hear when somebody talks about the rock bottom. No, yeah, because I'm not talking about losing my kids or having yeah. seven felonies or being homeless or no, being abused. No, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is I am sick, sick of living this way. Okay. And I would do anything to figure out a different way to live. And all those external circumstances that were clear in your life really had no... They were no... not sufficient to produce desperation in me. And that is when we hear somebody say rock bottom, that's what kind of makes us twinge a little bit is because those externals are different have, for everyone and they a, don't matter you can have a ton of horrible external consequences yeah. going on and still not be sick of yourself <laughs> you yeah. can you can still think well i can drink beer well i'm still going to take that benzo well i still need to smoke weed for this reason yeah well then you don't understand you're not desperate enough yet so what happened for you is that you finally exercised any options available. You had enough. You couldn't live another day that way. And you finally got into a place where you were. I was desperate to know how to live a different way because I had had 13 years sober before heroin. Mm -hmm. And then so I you had, knew what that looked like. And then I had five years sober. I mean, five years on heroin. And I didn't want either either life. And I would say, based did you see, on, did you hear what I just said? Yeah. I didn't want either life. I right. didn't want my old sober life back. That sucked too. Because you were not emotionally sober. I was not happy. Absolutely. I've heard stories, and that, Heather, <laughs> positively frightens me. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with Relevant Recovery Radio. Welcome back. Real Recovery Radio. Welcome back. Don't do that. Host Heather Dunning Mug. Welcome <laughs> back. Uh, okay, so you finally got to a place where you were desperate. You yeah. finally got, and it had nothing to do with your externals. It had what? 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 It did wasn't. It, have it to wasn't do with? about like, oh, I want to be sober versus not sober. It was because in my mind, even back when I was sober, that life sucked too. Yeah. And so I just got to a point where I'm like, if I can't figure out a whole different way to live where I can be happy, I don't want to live. And, and for me, I was just hopeless <clears throat> for me. I spent 10 years. So I'm, I was a drunk. I, I'm a garden variety. I always call myself a garden variety drunk. Now, when I hit, I don't know what age in my younger thirties, I realized that I would stop blacking out so much if I would use cocaine. So it turns out I love the way cocaine smells. So I did a lot of cocaine. Hey, I is did this a lot a of third segment. I did uh, yeah. party drugs, things like that. But anyways, in the last 10 years of my drinking, I tried to quit 150 times, 150 ways. I literally exhausted every avenue mm -hmm. to quit on my own, mm -hmm. alcohol, drugs, all of that. And I literally could not do it. Right. I just couldn't. And so that so when I hit the, the next one. When I hit the doorsteps of our fellowship... I was desperate right. because I had exhausted every avenue that I could think of to stop. So, and I was like you, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. I just didn't want to live this way anymore. Yeah. And it had nothing for me to do with externals either because my externals look great. Yeah. It looked completely different from yours. So let me ask you a question because you were at that moment of desperation. What's the next thing that produced in you? Willingness. Mm -hmm. and when somebody sat down with me and shared how they felt and shared how, this 
changed their life and and how much better they were today, I was willing to do what they suggested. I agree. I think that I have one desire, Chip, because I was so desperate. And I think the opposite is true for me in in the earlier years. The reason I had went to five rehabs and never got it is because I wasn't willing. Mm. Um, I was willing to do some stuff. I was willing to go to meetings. I was willing to get a sponsor in name. But the things that they were asking, all the things that people were asking me to do, saying, do this to get well, in my mind, I had excuses of like why I didn't need to do that. Give me some examples of what you weren't willing to do with the the fellowship around drugs and alcohol. The fellowship, what I wasn't willing to do. Yeah. Yeah. What, like when, the, so the opposite is excuses, right? So, so when somebody comes in, you're sponsoring them or you, for example, because I remember... On your fourth visit to rehab, Mm -hmm. you weren't willing to do some things with the steps. You weren't willing to whatever. In fact, you weren't you weren't willing to rewrite a fourth step until something happened. And And so, yeah, when I was in my fifth and final rehab, okay, one thing that I wasn't willing to do was write a new fourth step. So you had written a previous. You're like that. That's good enough. I wrote it. I'd spent hours writing the previous fourth step. I'll bet it was a long one. And um, I. I thought all that stuff was still applicable, and I wasn't willing to rewrite it and redo the work. I thought that sounded ridiculous. Yeah. Even though everyone was saying, Heather, you drank again, so you have to restart the steps. Yeah. So for anyone listening that's in the 12-step world, yes, you have to restart the steps if you drink. Did you see and it as a punishment or as a ne- necessity it, for the process? No, Why did, did you fight it? I fought it because I thought it was a waste of time. Okay. Okay, Let you didn't me just see take the necessity. these pieces of paper and staple it to the new notebook. Yeah. Why do I got to spend hours writing it again? Yeah. Do you see the benefit now? Now I do. So yeah. what happened was some guy that came up to the rehab to bring a meeting in um, cornered me by myself afterwards and was just really got in my face and was super aggressively truthful to me. Honest. Honest. Didn't about, care. He cared more about your sobriety than your feelings. He cared more about my life than my feelings. And he hurt my feelings then, but he actually played a part in saving my life. When I cried and I ran back to my little bedroom in rehab, that uh, it, it just dawned on me, he's absolutely right. I'm so not surrendered. I'm so not willing. Like, my sponsor's telling me to rewrite this, and I think I know better. I think I don't have to do this. And I'm just completely not surrendered to this process. And so that produced willingness in me. And so when we talk about willingness, do you think it is that I stop questioning everybody around me? Like I stop saying why, I stop saying whatever, and I just start doing what What is suggested? Mm -hmm. Because I've sponsored so many girls now, and it's such a joy to get to sponsor someone who's just willing. Yeah, Like they just actually come every week, and they're actually honest. (laughs) And we just, you know, I give them an assignment, and I help them learn how to do it, and then they bring it back done. It's a treat to get somebody who comes in here who's desperate, who's just willing to do what you suggest. Because I wasn't. I was the train wreck that fought my sponsor mm-hmm. several times until that last time. And even then, I might have still balked and argued a little bit at different times, but I technically still did whatever they asked me to do. Yeah. And uh, and so, for me, that was completely game-changing because it just didn't matter. If my sponsor said, hey, you should probably do this, that meant you better do it or you're going to die. It wasn't just a light suggestion. Do you think, is, does willingness play into integrity and character? I think so, because one thing I wasn't willing to do that first time I tried to work the steps but didn't stay sober is I wasn't honest. I actually lied on my first, first fifth step. Mm. I held something back. And then um, the instruction she gave me for doing steps six and seven was supposed to take an hour, and I lied and said I did the hour, and I didn't. I did like Liar. Yeah. 
Okay. And I had no idea that guaranteed another relapse. Right. And uh, and so because what we are talking about is just a complete surrender. Right. And so like it's human nature to fight and to have the idea that I can win and the will to win mm-hmm. and just this thing operating in the back of my brain of just keep moving forward. You can do it. Just apply yourself. And for us to finally uh-huh. surrender and go, I can't do it. There's no way out and I'm dying. Okay, please help me. Here's the way I explain it to girls. Like when I'm getting ready to hear their fifth step, um, I sounded weird when I said that fifth step. Um, the fifth one. The fifth The fifth step. I, I always tell them, listen, you're going to read everything to me and I'm going to ask you some questions and all this, but I will never know most likely, if you lie to me. But what I want you to know is it's a nail in the coffin of your sobriety, mm-hmm. that you don't get to be deceitful or dishonest and be connected to God. And the whole reason of doing the steps is to get you connected to a higher power. And so if you lie, that's on you, dude. I get to stay sober either way because I'm the sponsor. And that's the that's the funny part about it, right, is is that is the guarantee. The book just says Guaranteed. to be honest and thorough. Yeah. So why, if I come in, if I finally find the desperation I come in that helps me become willing to take suggestion, why is honesty so important? I just told you, you don't get to be connected spiritually. You don't get to be a spiritual person and be dishonest. Well, I mean, just as our next point, honesty. (laughs) Open-minded. Stupid. Hmm. (laughs) I wasn't looking at the list. Try to go with our flow here. So the next thing is definitely (laughs) open-minded because I feel like... We're we're just going to skip honesty? I thought we already talked about it. That was it? Okay, go ahead. Open-mindedness. Do you have something you want to share about being dishonest at five years sober? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I like how you put me on the spot right there. It's a good story. Yeah, so I, I was uh, I was in a failing marriage. I was in a marriage that I wasn't willing to work on. I don't know if she was willing, but we weren't fixing it. And it had been broken for a long time. And we were more like roommates for many years than we were actual husband and wife. My voice always cracks when I talk about this because it's kind of a mess. Um, So after 14 years of marriage, I got sober. So you were a drunk in that marriage for 14 years. For 14 years. And then I get sober and around four and a half years sober, which would have been around 18 years of marriage. uh, I was cheating. Mm-hmm. on her with other women in the rooms. Mm-hmm. And what I always tell people is it wasn't exactly that I, it, as a result to that, it was the closest I had ever come and to, to date to drinking. Right. So reward that. So, Say it again. Reward that. So at four and a half years sober, I began cheating on my ex, now ex mm-hmm. with women in the rooms and came the closest I have ever come to date to drinking. Mm-hmm. And it was because of dishonesty. So because of the dishonesty that you were living out at four and a half years sober, you therefore were not connected to God. Completely disconnected as well as it would, the, the thing were, about it was that I couldn't tell anybody close to me Yeah, because here I am in a fellowship that that believes in principles. Mm-hmm. One of those principles is honesty. <laughs> and I couldn't tell them what I was doing. So I was literally isolated by myself yeah. 
in this world that I had created. But I think that there's a delusion there that just because you're living a spiritual program of action, just because you're a Christian, if you're not even in recovery and listening, um, that we don't think each other's perfect. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous that we think we can't admit to our dishonesties. Well, one of one or two of my friends found out. Yeah, no, no, no. And the question was literally like WTF. Like, are you kidding me right now? What are you doing, bro? You're going to drink over my this. And point, they were so right. My point was, I remember my sponsor has told me at one point, point heather don't ever become so recovered that you can't ask for help right and i felt like i probably was you, at that you point. definitely thought you were so recovered because you had that stage character you'd had for four and a half years oh yeah you yeah. really did not know how to be like guys i'm screwing up here I like help. i'm in a lot of trouble and what finally did happen is that i got desperate enough in sobriety close enough to a drink that i was desperate again mm-hmm that I became willing, I became, I got honest with some people, I reworked the steps. Like that reintroduction of desperation made me completely willing to go back sort of to zero on the idea of the steps, rework everything. And I had an amazing spiritual awakening because of it. I mean, I became a Christian after that. Yeah. I mean, it, it was amazing. So. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about open-minded humility other things. Be right back with Relevant Recovery Radio. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with you your host, Heather. You do a different voice Hunter. every time. I enjoy it that way. <laughs> Breaks the monotony of everything. So anyways. Hey, Heather, how are you today? So we've covered desperation. We've covered willingness. We've covered honesty. So when it comes to recovery, sobriety, when it comes to living a principled life, um, I think that honesty is paramount. Yeah. Right? I think that it's not a suggestion. It's a requirement. The dishonesty but will take you out. Same token. Same time. Mm-hmm. These things that we are talking about today, there's a minimum that you need to get started. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you that when you walk through the door, you have to be the most desperate, the most willing, the most honest. Like you need a minimum to get started and those things will develop. It develops. Because I want to tell you, hold on a minute. For my first four and a half years sober, my dishonesty or my my honesty level was not a full tank. Right. If there was a if there was a gauge that went from empty to full. (laughs) But what I'm saying, though, is that I was doing the best that I could. Right. That's my point. When when it comes to like willingness, what I'm saying is when I was I don't know what I was probably two weeks sober in rehab when Mm -hmm. I had that conversation with him. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying I was I became willing to write a new four step. Mm -hmm. I wasn't saying that I was willing to do all the other things you're asking me to do for the next five years. Right. I was just willing to write a new four step. Right. And a lot more of willingness grew out of that willingness. And so I love it when like someone's at my detox. Here's an example. Um, people come to my detox all the Here's time. Here's an example we'll call Jim. Yeah, let's sample to call Jim. People come to detox all the time and, and people don't necessarily usually want to go to detox. People want to just go do IOP and they do it from home. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a setup for failure. I've never encountered anyone that got sober just from IOP. But anyways, that's a whole nother deal. I got sober just from the rooms. That's different. And so treatment doesn't treat chronic alcoholism. Oh, so when you say just IOP, you mean no, no 12-step fellowship. Right, right, just, right, right. Oh, If you're okay. a chronic alcoholic. I want to clarify But what that. I'm saying is, so someone may become willing to be like, okay, I'll go to detox. I'll do eight, 10 days, whatever, right? Yeah. But usually 
we want to them to go to something else like 30 day RTC after or right. something, right? Something. And most people aren't willing. Most people are like, no, I got to go home. I got to get back to my job. I got to get back to my kids. I got to get back to my cat, whatever it is. Excuses. They're not willing. Does Susan have a cat? I hope Susan has a cat. This makes the story much greater. I hate Susan. So what I'm saying is, is it's a beautiful- No offense to cat people out there. I just want to let them know. What I'm saying is it's a beautiful scenario when Jim became willing to go to detox- that mm-hmm. willingness, while he was in detox, grew into willingness to go do 30 days. Mm. And that willingness, while he's in the 30 days, grew into the willingness to get a sponsor and work the 12 steps. Okay. It's different stuff like that, now right? Now I see what you're saying, it's but in, you got to start with the minimum. you got to start with something, but it's incremental, and the more action you take, the more it grows. With and all the of minimum this- that you get is produced by that desperation. Correct. Which is why when we see people come into the rooms who are not desperate. I'm like, go drink. Yeah, there's go a little hope. Drink, I mean, I'm sorry. We're I, not we're not the great almighty oracle. We're not. Yeah, but I've just it. seen it too many times. You could get it. But when someone comes in with tons of pride, they're not open-minded. They seem sort of dishonest. They, they're not desperate or willing, mostly. Yeah. Then I'm just like, yeah, you're not going to get it this time. But we will love you until you do. <laughs> so why does open-minded matter? Because people don't know what they don't know. Mm. And so many. <laughs> and they think they know everything. Everybody thinks they know everything. Yeah. And I'm telling you, everybody's stupid. Everybody's stupid. Everybody? You're stupid. I'm stupid. Everybody's stupid. I knew we were, but I didn't know everybody was. <laughs> everybody's that was stupid. just an affliction of ours. I'm saying people don't know what they don't know. And so here is an example of where I lacked open mindedness. I remember You're when going I, back to like yesterday or like early this morning. Don't make me hit you live <laughs> on air. <laughs> no, um, one of my blocks She's to rigid, recovery. Folks. She's really rigid. Listen, one of my blocks was I was not open-minded that I needed to work the 12 steps because mm-hmm. I already knew God and I already mm-hmm. had a wonderful foundation of my religious beliefs and I already had faith and I already had a relationship with God. I had no idea I didn't. I was so not open-minded that I couldn't fathom how working these 12 steps would deepen a more intimate relationship with my creator. I didn't believe it. Can I explain why? Go ahead. What a lot of people don't understand is is there are Christians who are upset at, let's take a fellowship. I'm going to pick a random fellowship like AA. Okay. And you have Christians that get upset at AA because AA says you can have a God of your understanding. A higher power. And Christians are like, but there's only one God. Okay. Mm -hmm. But then people are in AA and they're like, I don't want the religion. Mm -hmm. But here's how they go together, folks. Here's how they will work for an individual is that Jim, not Susan, because I don't think there's any help for Susan, but Jim can be a Christian and he has faith. Yep. The problem is that faith alone is insufficient. What a program like NAAA, these other 12-step programs will give them is a... Blueprint. Well, it's an action program. It's a spiritual action program where you're actually going through the steps of action. The steps is a blueprint. Which will, in the end, enhance your faith and connection to God. So when I first came into a 12-step fellowship, um, I bristled with antagonism and my own prejudice because I already had a conception of God and I didn't like the secular neutral language of the 12-step world. Mm-hmm. And now I understand the reason for it. It helped an atheist like you get sober. Yes, it did. And so I, I get it now. But but the flip is true. Um, if, if church alone 
was sufficient for everybody. There'd be no reason that priests, ministers, rabbis, nuns, and all of that are also in a 12-step fellowship. And you and I know literally, I know literally a, a handful <laughs> of priests that are And pastors and sober. nuns that are sober in a 12-step fellowship. Correct. And I'm saying is that, that one doesn't necessarily contradict the other. Mm-mm. No, they accompany. They do. You have a spiritual but, program of action, and you have a religious faith. Right. And I think that at first, I was not open-minded to learn that. I had what the book calls it contempt prior to investigation. I didn't know I needed a different, deeper spiritual experience. I, I was only operating off my previous knowledge of my spiritual depth, mm-hmm. which wasn't very deep at that point. No, it wouldn't even have gotten like the sides of my shoes It was wet. like one of them little cricks, you know? <laughs> little cricks. Little cricks with the baby crowd dad. Oh like, it was God. just a little crick. <laughs> but now I got an ocean. Yeah. You know, now I got all these fields and streams of different levels of depth of my relationship with God. Because of this because program of, the of spiritual action. Because the program of the blueprint from the 12-step Because of the spiritual action, which you and I have talked about. We love, uh, we love our religious belief and our faith, and we love our church 100%. But we really wish that there was we could introduce... A 12-step program of action <laughs> for most of those people, right? <laughs> yeah. Because there are certain things that the 12-steps have that... Well, anyway, so I don't want to digress into that because we have one more to cover. Here. All right, one so more thing. open-mindedness for me was just the idea of God. I entered the 12-step fellowship, a complete atheist, argued with all of it. I had been atheist for 20-plus years. But because the 12-step fellowship I was in was open-minded with me and and didn't care what I believed and just said, come on in, you're welcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Over time, as we said, you just need the minimum. You need the minimum of right. desperation, willingness, honesty of mind. They all grew. And as my open-mindedness grew, I began to build a faith in a foundational God. And I want to say real quickly before we move on to the last one that the opposite of open-mindedness is unteachable. So to our listeners... I'm not asking you to change your religious beliefs. I'm asking you to look at whether or not you're teachable. No one's perfect. Everyone mm-hmm. can learn new things. No one knows all. And so that really feeds into the last one, which is what, babe? It's humility. So Humility. If desperation gets me in the door and gives me enough willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness to begin to grow, as I grow, all of that starts to produce some humility. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know how to get sober. Oh, I didn't know I didn't know. And, and what is, so what does that basically look like? What does humility look like in the beginning and now? I think that humility means asking questions and trying to learn what is it that I don't know? What delusions do I have? Beginning to admit um, you don't know. Beginning to admit that I, that I don't know how to be sober, that I don't know how to be connected to God, that I, I don't know how to be happy. I mean, what I find is the longer I'm sober, the more I, I, I don't always, know. The more I don't know. It's just the truth. <laughs> yeah. I just And what it is is I'm just a lot more honest and humble about information. I just don't know. And so I think the opposite of humility is like lots of pride and ego issues, which everybody has at times, you know. And so I hope that this discussion on these roadblocks has been uh, helpful to you guys. These are things that I think are essential for recovery. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. We're so glad you listened today. Come back in another week for Relevant Recovery Radio. Hashtag God, though.